Ladies and gentlemen and Corner Kick fam, welcome back. It's been maybe the busiest weekend of soccer of the year for whatever reason. Mm. Yeah, the people who are in charge of soccer around the world decided to schedule <laughs> literally every single derby match to be played between like 8 a.m. <laughs> and 4 p.m. on Sunday. But my name is Nathan Strauss, and here to break down this weekend's action is a man who did not quite literally suplex a defender in his own net, Nick Govindan. That was not me, but that was an insane challenge on, I think it was Diego Roldan of the Seattle Sounders by whichever keeper that was. And I love the fact that even Dwayne The Rock Johnson himself got involved and like quote tweeted that video and said like, yes, this is indeed a rock bottom. And yes, it it should have indeed been a red card as well. So that was a pretty good like interjection of The Rock into a soccer culture this weekend. So this weekend literally did have a bit of everything. Yeah. It really did. And also joined by uh, a man who did not uh, play 65 minutes of the Classico while injured. It is Caleb Rhodes. Yes, it is true. I've not played any minute of a Classico, either fit or injured. So. Which is too bad because you probably would have done better than Oscar Mingueza did in his one half of play. But shall we start <laughs> off before we jump to Spain? I think that there has been so much that has gone on in the Prem that we need to start with what was, with all due respect to the Classico, the most eye-catching score of the weekend. A game that all three of us watched at very different locales. Um, but Liverpool 5, Man United 0, in, <laughs> in a game that could have been probably like Liverpool 8, United 0, Liverpool, I mean, United, frankly, should probably have been down to nine men, if not eight. It was one of the most dominating performances that I've seen by a Premier League team ever. And the fact that it's it was from Liverpool to their arch rivals United uh, at Old Trafford just made it all the sweeter. Uh, but Nick, I think it's only fair that you get like uh, a, a moment of gloating if you want it before we start to discuss it with, with uh, any real sort of analytical lens. I will gladly take my moment in the sunshine here. This was a glorious, glorious day. The sun was beaming down here in Nashville area of Tennessee. And I am normally, and you guys know this from knowing me for a very long time at this point, I am usually very stressed out around this fixture. I really hate losing to Manchester United, partly because a lot of my family are Man United fans. I also just really dislike the club, club rivals, and I, I just, ugh, ugh. But yes, this was by far the greatest result, footballing result of, you know, probably since the Champions League final in 2019, I have to say, and like maybe clinching the Premier League title. But because of that like long COVID break, that sort of celebration was a bit diminished. This was definitely kind of the has will go down as like one of the highlights of my Liverpool fandom, perhaps in my entire life. It is the largest Liverpool away victory at Old Trafford. Liverpool have now scored 33 goals in their last eight away games that averages out to around 4.1 
goals per away game that they've scored this season. So they are dominating opponents away from Anfield. And I think, Nathan, yes, it could very much well have been like eight or nine nil. But I don't even think Liverpool had to play that spectacularly to carve open Manchester United. United, after the Atalanta game, there's this clip that has now been circulated where Paul Scholes, you know, legendary United midfielder, said if they defend that way against Liverpool, they'll get torn apart. And it was the same exact 11 that Ole put out against Atalanta and the team got torn apart. They have no defensive structure whatsoever. They just leave Harry Maguire and Victor Lindelof back to deal with everything. The McFred midfield has been like completely and utterly exposed. (laughs) They're both like inept at defending. It's insane. They have no tactical awareness whatsoever. And Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw, two of the standout defenders, both defensively and going and in attack like Harry Maguire scored uh, some goals Luke Shaw you know scored a goal in the final like but both of them under Gareth Southgate were really resolute defenders were all over the shop in this game they had no idea how to manage Liverpool doing what were fairly rudimentary you know one fullback going up overloading the side of the pitch and they left a complete like let's say like you know Andy Rob for the first goal for example that Nabi Keita scores Andy Robertson creates an overload on the left hand side like Harry Maguire and Lindelof go over there to help Juan Basaka it leaves Mo Salah space to like pass like one very simple through ball into Nabi Keita and score and it's the exact same thing for Jota's goal about seven minutes later the defensive solidity the team structure, the spine of Manchester United is essentially like cardboard and Liverpool smashed it to pieces in an epic <laughs> in an epic display. The players should feel, Manchester United's players should feel embarrassed. And this, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about the, you know, the news that has come out regarding Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's position. But I think, you know, this result, Manchester United could not keep going down two or three goals and expecting to come back and Liverpool, you know, one of the form teams in the, in the world at the moment and Mo Salah scoring the first ever Liverpool hat trick away at Old Trafford, probably the form player in the world right now really exposed all of the flaws for the world to see. Yeah. I don't, I don't really know how to, to follow that up, but to give a sense of, you know, the world telling us that we should pay attention to this game perhaps rather than El Clasico on a Saturday morning, <laughs> I called Phoenix Landing, the official Liverpool bar of Boston, and also just a general kind of like soccer sports bar to make sure that they were going to have El Clasico on, which started, you know, an hour and a half before the Liverpool game. And I called the man on the phone um, asking, hey, what time do you open? And, and are you going to have El Clasico on at 1015? And he said, oh, no, we're, we're playing soccer all day. Um, <laughs> Now, <laughs> that was a little funny, but it gets funnier. So we get to the bar. Eventually, they get the game on. But uh, in like the 33rd minute, Nathan, you can correct me if it's something around there. Suddenly, the TV switches from El Clasico to just the pregame uh, for Liverpool Man U. And it was some weird WWE spoof. But clearly, uh, we were meant to pay attention to this game. We got to listen to the mellifluous sounds of the Jurgen Klopp song. I don't know if you've heard that, uh, Nick. Um, <laughs> yes, it's talking about how they wish Jurgen uh, was their dad. Um, but this was this was an insane game, and I I was kind of curious about some of the personnel choices that Jurgen Klopp did make 
uh, ahead of this match, dropping Mane, who I thought was excellent um, last week, um, keeping Firmino, bringing in Jota, and also bringing in Konate, um, even though, to my knowledge, Matip, you know, isn't injured. Um, so an interesting defensive change, but wow. Mohamed Salah has been on, continues to be, on a completely another level this season. He now has 10 goals and five assists in only nine Premier League games. I mean, this is shaping up to be one of the most dominant seasons, attacking seasons by any player in the history of the sport. Um, also great to see Nabi Keita doing really well. I know he had to go off um, injured and we can get to that issue later in this game as well. But I think he has really come into his own this season as well. And I hope he gets back soon. But, you know, you, you put it best, Nick. This was the performance of a lifetime by Liverpool. Um, but at the same time, you felt like they didn't even need to get, you know, much higher than second or maybe third gear. Manchester United were just that shambolic. Um, and maybe, you know, Nathan, you can bring us into that or Nick, if you have thoughts. But this was really... Liverpool at their best, but not even breaking a sweat, and Manchester United at, you know, sub-Moisean levels of, of play um, yeah, out there. I, I think a more recent comparison to this team for United is I remember when I sort of made up my mind as an Arsenal fan that Unai Emery should be sacked. And it was hard because unlike sort of unlike a Mourinho kind of character, Emery was like a pretty nice guy. Like he generally said a lot of the right things. He took a lot of blame. Uh, he didn't communicate great in English, but you know, he was sort of a positive figure and no one, no player who's planted him has been like, Oh yeah. Like this guy is the worst, but seeing how the players, I guess are reacting to Ole right now, like seeing Harry Maguire's post-match interview with sky and sort of blaming the players and not the manager or seeing um, the video of Jesse Lingard getting sort of peltered by abuse from the stands and Lingard just turning around saying, he's not putting me out there. Uh, like that stuff makes it pretty clear to me that United doesn't need to sack him. And frankly, this game would have been the perfect excuse to just get it over with in the first place. Like going down 2-0 to Atalanta and then orchestrating a comeback might have uh, you know, temporarily saved his job then and there. But this is the worst home match in club history after spending hundreds of millions of dollars on players who have been left on the bench. Uh, and like, yeah, obviously, you know, maybe there were some personnel issues that, you know, could have been, could have been better. Like I'm sure he could improve this midfield by spending another 80 or 90 million. But if you're spending 70 million to bring in Sancho, why are you leaving him on the bench? The Van de Beek signing, you know, Liverpool scored more goals in the game than he has minutes this Premier League season. Like, that is pretty insane. Uh, and they also so, brought Paul Pogba on off the bench. Like, it's not like they're starving for right, you know, resources exactly. in that midfield. Like, yes, obviously they need a DM because Scott McTominay and Fred don't even make one decent defensive midfielder. But it's yeah. not like there's not options in this team. Yeah, and we've, we've, we know that Ole is not a good tactician. That's never really been a secret. But his man management and sort of relationship to the club itself, I think, has prolonged his career right now. 
But when you have Antonio Conte quite literally just like sitting by his phone waiting Jeez. for the text, you breathing know, breathing down yeah, the neck of Manchester United yeah. right now. His agent has the contract ready to be signed. He's got the pen in hand. He's just waiting for uh, for the the Woodwards or forever it is at the top to, to you know to tell him to to take off the the cap and sign on the dotted line. Like I, if I were United, I would have let him go like before he could get to the podium. On, on Sunday after the match, but um, maybe that's just me. I think it's it's tough because if it was anyone else not named Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, they'd be out the door. Like if this was Jose Mourinho, I have no doubt that he would be gone. Mm. I think it's just so he is like kind of a beloved figure in Manchester United folklore. And that is like kind of further exemplified by the heat that like Gary Neville is taking right now for, you know, making mm. essentially not, you know, in, in a roundabout way, kind of defending him on Sky Sports and not mentioning him by name and sort of talking in kind of vague terms about the game. I just think it's 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 kind of a compromising position for United to clearly, I think, you know, with the the talks that Fabrizio Romano has been reporting on today, there th- this game has caused sort of a wobbling in in the boardroom. But mm-hmm. I think it is just sort of like a really it's a difficult position. But when you when you cut to the stands and you see like Sir Alex Ferguson like making like <laughs> Brownie faces and you see like Kenny Dalglish like laughing his ass off like those are the signs and also the images of like thousands of United fans leaving the game at halftime like that is the sign that I think the people truly are no longer with the the project under Ole and they have spent so much capital on this team and Nathan is right and that I think they just need to cut their losses and it is no further exemplified that his influence is waning when Cristiano Ronaldo essentially has to go and pick a fight with the entire Liverpool team because no one wearing a red jersey was like backing him up in that confrontation. That was very, very telling to me. And also like Cristiano, I'll just do my Cristiano rant right now. He, this was like one of the more diva petulant displays from him that I've seen like in a very long time, like since the Mourinho Real Madrid days. Like him, like, mouthing off to the referee, like kicking 20-year-old Curtis Jones while he's down. Like, my guy, you're 36 years old. You are 16 years this man's senior, and you're, like, behaving this way. And I have no doubt that it has affected, you know, the way that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is able to manage the locker room of this team, having to deal with a personality like that. So United are really, like, suffering from their own poison chalice right now. And I think Nathan is right. They need to cut their losses while they can. Not that I want them to. I hope all no, those days for you know a very long time. Yeah, I yeah. thought I thought Ronaldo should have been sent off. By the way, if if I had been VAR, I would have sent him off. Yeah, Ronaldo is channeling you know like the glory days of Pepe. Uh, like I don't know what he was watching before this match, but it was one of the more just like shocking things to see from such an experienced player who really has you know won everything. It was a moment of sheer frustration. I don't think we've also fully like said exactly what happened. Basically Curtis Jones had the ball um, on the end line and was kind of shielding it. Um, and Ronaldo tackled him. And then the ball was kind of like underneath Curtis Jones and it was a foul. And then he proceeded to just kind of like hammer at the ball while it was, um, you know, slash just hammer at Curtis Jones. And I think this brings out another dimension of like the Ronaldo problem, as I think we're just going to have to start to call it at Man U, which is his attitude is not good when things are difficult. 
this has always been true. And I think now as a 36 year old who wanted out of Juventus because he wasn't winning easily enough in Serie A, I don't know why he thought it would be easier to win in the Premier League, but I think that issue is going to be exacerbated. And it definitely adds to, you know, a bit of a toxic environment at the club that is further undercut when you have, you know, your captain like Harry Maguire putting in a series of poor performances. I'm not really sure what's happened to like Maguire and Shaw in the last like month or something after they both had, I think, pretty good seasons last year. It's coaching. It's all coaching. Is it? Is it coaching? Okay, it's uh, coaching. I mean, I think the, it's partly coaching and partly. Well, I mean, of, they're not playing alongside Kyle Walker and John Stones, right? Like that's that's part of yeah. it too. And like, you no, know, Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips aren't in front of them. But True. it's and like, it's, I guess, do you think it's do you think this game plays out like a little differently if like Varan is there or 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 is this? I think Maybe. he brings more organization into the team, but you could see like when when Liverpool broke forward and they just created one overload, it was like watching kids in the playground. All of the United <laughs> players just flocked. It was to the so ball, funny, it and was they so left funny. like a wide open space. It happened for, pr- pr- I think actually it happened for all of the goals, where like they yeah. literally left two players back. They left Lindelof and Maguire back, and Liverpool were just able to create an overload on one side. Every, there was no defensive structure. They have no tactics at the back. And when they try and press, they just press with... It's not like Liverpool who send multiple players to try and press and they have a pressing system where one person initiates it and then someone else like Jordan, like Mo Salah will initiate the press and Jordan Henderson will like go and fill the space or Curtis Jones will go and fill the space or James Milner will go and fill the space. Like Trent will go forward and James Milner will like tuck into his position. Like there's no structure like that. So let's say like Fred or McTominay go to press there's no instruction for like Juan Basaka to, to cut in and like cover that space. So they just leave like these huge holes in the team. And like they play Man City in two weeks, <laughs> who are the chief experts in like managing space this way. And like I can't even imagine if like we're beating them like in first gear five nil, what Man City are going to do to them in two weeks if they're right. still And is, is that the third game in the so, so man you put yeah, out so a it's, statement? It's, it's Spurs, yeah. Atalanta, and City. Okay. <laughs> so they could lose all of those games, I think, potentially. Um, yeah, but I, I will say I do have a little bit of empathy for just the battering of Man you here because it reminded me a lot of my first week of, you know, my rec league soccer this year when we lost. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> when we lost uh, 10 to 1 to a team entitled La Furia Latina, um, which to be clear was a co ed team, um, but we didn't have enough players. Um, we had never met each other before. And two of the people on our team actually just decided to play a second game in a row. And it was wave after wave. So, you know, I've been where, man, you have been. Yeah. And we haven't um, even talked about the Pogba challenge, which is like similar to the Ronaldo yeah, thing. And it's yeah. just him trying to like put a point of emphasis on the game and like trying to get into it and horror challenge to get sent off. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think, think the Pogba around. thing comes from like a slightly different place. Like I think Ronaldo, like that doesn't no, I agree, try I agree. to achieve anything. I think Pogba was just like just thrown into the game, knew that they're down, what at that point, 4-0. Um, and was trying to get something going and then was just a little over eager with, you know, a bad challenge that deserved a red card and, you know, which injured Nabi Kaita. But I think, you know, yeah, it, it's in the same mood, but it's also like a little more understandable. My even though it's, favorite, yeah. Before we move on, my favorite yeah. part of this game was at 5-0 down. <laughs> and Ole is like, 
<laughs> prepping Edison Cavani to come on because that's going to do something. Because, <laughs> you know, like Cristiano Ronaldo, Mason Greenwood, and Marcus Rashford, and Bruno Fernandes have been like so effective because of putting on another old man striker is definitely going to do something. Like, you don't need a DM. Like, don't put on, don't mind me. Like, don't put on like Van de Beek or Matic or anything. Like, put on Cavani, sure. And then. <laughs> Like he gets, he's being prepped by the assistants, and then Cavani goes to like receive the briefing from Ole, and like Ole just doesn't say anything to him. He has like no words for Cavani, and that's how you know, like it's just not, it's just not meant to, it's just not meant to be. And I think you, they have to. The smart thing to do is to sack him now. Yeah, I agree. And for the record, United have the second most valuable squad uh, in the world at eight hundred and sixteen million pounds and so they, do you know where they are in the premier league table in regards for errors leading the goals hopefully first, first. second yeah they're Third? first oh, okay <laughs> you made yeah. us wait there a little bit yeah. but i think it's time to move off of uh, off of united um the same way they should be moving off of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. i want to just quickly we haven't talked about them a lot this season since the opening two weeks but very quietly before we go to el Clasico, arsenal are now six games unbeaten. They've outscored opponents 13 to four since uh, the first week of September. And they put in on Friday what I would describe as their best performance since the Wenger days. And I know we all watch this game. And I'm curious if you guys are sort of willing to give Arteta a little bit of a pass for some of those early season moments, seeing how well they did in this game. And if you don't, if you wanted to skip to the Classico, we totally can. But um, I was very, very impressed. I, 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 I agree. I was impressed with the way that Arsenal have been playing recently. Obviously, there was that kind of like horror draw against Crystal Palace that really should have been a loss at home. You know, the Lacazette goal in like, what, the 93rd minute or something. Um, but I think that was the only, that's been the only real slip up recently, you know, since that horror run at the beginning of the season. And I think Arteta has always been like a very football intelligent type of person. It's just whether or not he'd be able to develop as a manager, you know, as a leader of men and as a tactician. And I think we've seen like with the squad, you know, as he's gotten more, a bit more time with the young players specifically, you know, the Emil Smith Rose of the world, Kaio Saka as well. And I think kind of keeping things simple. I think we said this before, Caleb, you and I, Arteta needing to keep things simple. And simple is as simple does. And there's nothing simpler than a 4-4-2, which was really a throwback to, you know, the Wenger days of old. And they, yeah, they they swiped a decent Aston Villa side aside. And I I do think that, you know, Arsenal are showing some signs of life. But Arteta's big issue has been consistency. So I'm not really willing to, you know, offer too much of an apology quite yet until they put a very, very kind of uh, statement run of, of performances together. Yeah, I think, I think yes, they're undeniably on like a solid run of form and yet they are still 10th in the Premier League. So I'm going to reserve judgment for a few more weeks um, because they're 10th in the Premier League. So. Tied for the record with Leicester, Everton and United and one point behind Spurs and Brighton. So I yes, think it's, yeah. But the only team of those, other than Spurs, weirdly, who are on a negative goal difference. Fair so. enough. I think there are exciting things to come. I think Smith Rowe had a particularly good performance, but Spurs lost at the weekend as well, uh, falling to Mikhail Antonio and West Ham, which is just hilarious because Spurs have suddenly decided that uh, they've decided to play their best players 
And that worked in midweek. It did not work here as they really got played off the park uh, by West Ham for much of the game. Okay, my take on Spurs is that Spurs are the new leads. Ooh, right? interesting. Because leads last year, you know, you know, had a few good games. They would win like 5-2 or something. It was all a little bit crazy. But they pretty much won or lost every game pretty much evenly. And Spurs now have five wins, four losses. And there's something about a leadsiness to them this year. I think maybe, perhaps Leeds, but just like more dreary and boring and depressing. <laughs> I think without all the fun of Leeds, I, I agree that they do share some of the some of those similar qualities. I just think there's a bit of an identity crisis going on at the club that has been going on you know, even before Nuno was appointed. And did you see that wacky thing where it's like he refuses to make substitutes? Yeah, yeah. it's really weird. And I think that just shows you that he has very little faith in the current setup of this team as it is right now. And there was kind of that brief moment last week where Harry Kane, it looked like, was playing himself back into form. You know, only that, only for that to come crashing down this week against West Ham. And yeah, I'm just not, I'm not convinced on the Nuno era at Tottenham. I think it's been very, very up and down. And even when it's been up, you know, they've been really working tirelessly to get the very few wins that they have been getting. So I think, you know, maybe. I don't think Nuno should be on the hot seat yet, but I certainly don't think it's the, you know, hmm. progressive football that Daniel Levy promised in that statement many months ago. <laughs> right. Elsewhere, elsewhere around the league, Chelsea put seven past Norwich, who <laughs> poor Norwich sit bottom of the league with two oh. draws, seven losses, and a minus 21 oh, goal differential. Oh my god. Um, and it sort of someone, some public figure put out a statement this week asking for like an investigation into them because they are just like so non-competitive. Um, but by the way, should the season end today, Burnley, Newcastle and Norwich would be the three that go down, which would be just absolutely astonishing and so funny. Um, Palace drew Newcastle, by the way. So it's, it's not been the greatest week for Newcastle uh, football wise. But before we move to El Clasico, Nick, I know you wanted to talk to uh, talk to this for for a second, but Everton were up two to one going into the seventy seventh minute. However, in the seventy eighth minute, things went from bad to worse, and uh, Caleb, your man Emmanuel Denis, wound up scoring once, assisting twice, as four <laughs> goals in twelve minutes led to Watford beating Everton five two. Uh, pretty great week up on uh, up on Merseyside for you, Nick. It's one of the rare weeks where, you know, like not many times Liverpool put five goals past someone and then Everton concede five goals in the same weekend. But there were so many like different layers of irony to this. And obviously, I, I never want to see Rafa Benitez sad, but, you know, it is Everton are sort of like the schadenfreude club of of the world, some might say. And it no more. Um, there's no greater example for that than the fact that they released Josh King on a free transfer only for him to sign for Watford and he scores a hat trick in this game. And yes, I, I, the, the only other collapse of this magnitude, you know, if someone leading by two goals to one and for them to concede four goals in the last 12 minutes of a game was also Everton football club who did this against <laughs> Newcastle. <laughs> so it seems to be like every 40 years or so Everton suffer a collapse of this magnitude. But also on a serious note, 
I think it is important that we kind of applaud the resilience of Claudio Ranieri as a manager who I think this era could have gone off to a really horrible start. You know, that 5-0 drubbing uh, at home to Liverpool last weekend and then going to Everton against the very resolute Benitez side. But instead, you know, he totally changed the team around and looks like he's changed the mentality around. And that is a big result for them in the relegation fight. Yeah. You know, it's going to be a running thing this year that like, you know, Denis is going to have, you know, like 10 goals and 10 assists and be like (laughs) the sneaky, like fantasy buy of the year. Um, But, you know, I'm glad that I helped like will that into the world. Also, my favorite Josh King anecdote remains when, you know, it's like three or four years ago now, but people are like, why doesn't he ever get called up for the England squad? And it's, you know, it's because he's Norwegian. Um, It's also great that these were, you know, his first Premier League goals this year. um, And he scores a hat trick against Everton. But definitely, you know, Watford are are turning out to be, if nothing else, uh, a sort of a mercurial and amusing side this year. Absolutely. I think it's about time that we jump over and do sort of like a running tour of the other derby games this weekend. We should start with a game that was... I'm not going to say it wasn't entertaining because it was, but it was maybe a little less competitive than it normally is. And that would be the Clasico that mm. finished Real Madrid to Barcelona one. Caleb Aguero got a late consolation goal, but do you agree with the assessment that it was kind of only going to go one way after Alba's goal? Yeah. I mean, this, this game played out kind of how a lot of Clasicos have played out recently. Also, you know, to put it into context, Komen is now the first manager to lose three El Clasicos in a row since like the 60s. I think I have that right. Um, this is, you know, he's the first manager in a while to lose two consecutive home El Clasicos. You know, these are not statistics that you want. And it was kind of, you know, ironic that David Alaba did his best Komen impression um, following a counterattack. Um, and finishing it off as the center back. I think Alaba with, you know, his amazing left foot is probably the last player I really want on like a shot like that. Um, Despite that, I think one, two probably ends up being a fair scoreline. Although I don't think, you know, I would have necessarily put the two goals at the end, but I think it's, it was, it was kind of a blah game. I mean, it was kind of typical Barcelona this year where our own worst enemies a lot of the time. Um, And then Komen just, not really setting up our team to succeed. He had to sub off Mingueza after starting him at right back at halftime uh, for the second time in a week after he did the same in the Champions League. Um, Gavi just looked a little bit out of his depth. He only had like less than 20 completed passes compared to Busquets, who was in the 70s, and Frankie de Jong, who played only 60-ish minutes and had 50. Our whole right side pretty much was not strong enough from the start, and that just also made it all the easier for Madrid because they really only had to defend from the left. And if you look at expected goals from side of attack, all of our expected goals came from attacks from the left. Yes, this game could have been different if Dest had, you know, scored from point blank range early on, but on the balance, you know, Barcelona probably deserved to lose. And now we found out that PK and De Jong were both playing with an injury, um, which means if nothing else, that Ricky Puj uh, should get the start against Rio. Uh, yeah, I mean, kind of, kind of a blog game. I will say that, you know, it's inappropriate for fans to hound Komen's car as he left the stadium 
uh, like they did. And, you know, I applaud Barcelona for saying that if they're able to identify the people and if those people turn out to be uh, socios, club members, then they're going to revoke their club membership. Um, but not an embarrassing loss, but kind of, I think, a fair reflection of where we're at right now. Uh, yes, Barcelona attacking from the left more than a late night NBC News segment. <laughs> I don't know. I have nothing really to add. That was a great sum- summary of, of this game. <laughs> I think uh, I, attacking from the right, like Benito Mussolini's grandson for Lazio. Wait, can we talk about that? At some <laughs> yeah, wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> quick, quick timeout on a Classica. Wait, we'll do a Going from one fascist wait, 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 club wait, wait, wait. to another, right? <laughs> oh, that's too good. But yeah, um, <laughs> I think uh, I think Caleb summarized that perfectly. I think Barcelona so often I think start games relatively well, and then they seem to not have the fire to you know, get the job done. And I think they have a similar problem to Manchester United, where the defensive structure of the team is a little bit all over the place. And you could see that for Alaba's goal, he really just had the entire um, left side of the pitch all to himself. He had all the time in the world to uh, pick his shot and place that beautifully into the back of the net. It was a great goal, but he had all the time in the world to convert. And I just think the experience of Real Madrid has been coming through in the past four Clasicos, which they've now won, you know, four in a row, which is a historic run for Real Madrid. And, you know, it's not like Carlo Ancelotti has had a star, uh, has had a, you know, rocking start to the season either you know obviously he's still somewhat recovering from that loss to sheriff Teresa Spol, which i have not forgotten about so um i mean it is it's just sort of been par for the course of barcelona this season a lot of inconsistencies and a lot of not performing in big games which has sort of been coman's mo and and the mo before coman too ah but at least coman did say that he thinks we're close to winning a big game that was literally what he said mm. in the post-match press conference. He says, we are close to winning a big game, which is like, I think emblematic of the kind of sort of bad underdog mentality that he has instilled in this club that, you know, they don't think of themselves as favorites in these games. And they think that it will take, you know, a bit of luck um, to pull these games off. And Komen's record in big games speaks for itself. I mean, he hasn't honestly won a important match since the, uh, was it two or three nil victory over Juventus in the group stage of the Champions League last year. Pretty much every contest since then um, has been lost or drawn in Champions League games um, or, you know, in important La Liga matches against Madrid, both Madrid sides. The sad indictment, I think, of Barcelona right now is that if they do finish second in their Champions League groups, there's going to be a lot of teams like Liverpool and Man City and Chelsea or Juventus even who will look at Barcelona and say, hey, we want them, you know, as our opponent in the last 16. So I think that's, you know, sort of where we are with them right now. Yeah, I think that is very fair to say. Like at this point, even if they make it to the Europa League, I don't think they're favorites necessarily against like a well put together, uh, a sort of well put together team from a Europa League group stage. So, uh, but I think, so we mentioned it briefly. But let's talk Italy before we we bid adieu for the night, because this week was also Derby week in Serie A. Four different managers got red carded this weekend in the league, <laughs> including including Roma nil, Napoli nil, where Mourinho and Spalletti both got sent off. Cue you the had Godfather Pippo and music. Zaghi, right? You had Pippo and Zaghi 
getting sent off for uh for inter and he oh, threw something the, on the pitch yeah he threw something Inzaghi. on the pitch after and and Mourinho belted a water bottle after already being on a yellow for complaining he was not pleased that a foul didn't get given his way so he turned around toward his own bench and like went full-on like NFL kicker on it uh all in all inter inter one Juve one and and uh, Roman nil Napoli nil uh were interesting but I think the story that we want to talk about first is <laughs> wait, wait hold on <laughs> wait wait can, can, can we do a little more? Just a quick shout out to just Bria's had a terrible week. Oh yeah, it's oh, terrible week. they Bria. lost, loses six one to Bodo Glit Glimt. Glit. Yeah, um, it sounds which, like a it sounds like a foreign sports drink. Yeah, wait, what what country are they from again? Norway. Norway. It's where Norway. Yes, okay. Petter Hoga played before transfer. Sure, to... obviously they're the they're the the Norwegian champions from okay. the Arctic like, Circle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, so you know he lost six one in the conference league, which is pretty embarrassing, and to punish. You know, the sort of squad players that, you know, <laughs> played in that game. He he didn't even name like Reynolds, Diawara, and I think one or two others to the bench in this game. He made Marsh them stay Kibula. in the stand. Yeah. Um, so Roma, definitely a team to watch because any Mourinho team is a team to watch. But that's not the story we want to talk about here. We want to talk about the other Roman team. Um, Nathan, take it away. If we were to tell you that a player went by Romano Floriani, who exactly would you think he's related to? The question or the answer is what if we told you his full name was Romano Benito Floriani Mussolini? <laughs> <laughs> who plays right wing? <laughs> That's right, folks. The grandson, the grandson of famed uh, dictator Benito Mussolini now plays for arguably the most fascist club in Italy in, in Europe, I would say. In, in Europe, well, yeah, in, I would in say. It's, well, it's in, in, in like Western Europe, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, like let's not talk In the about. top five leagues. Yeah, yeah, the top five leagues. <laughs> the the next, most fascist club in the top I'm five leagues. You know the like CIES <laughs> rankings where it's like, this club is the best for youth development. <laughs> this club is the best for fascism. Um, <laughs> most, most dictators played per 90 and Real Madrid is like second. Um, but yeah, I just think it is so on form that Lazio would be the place where Mussolini's grandson winds up. And the fact that he's a right winger is just like extra, extra oh. funny for me. Uh, and this, you know, of course, I don't think, did we mention this last week? I'm not sure we did. Um, you know, last week, Lazio were, were in the news for so, so <laughs> more, more overtly fascist uh, stuff when their uh, their falconer, because of course they, they still have a, a falcon that flies around this damn, you might remember from a few years ago when it flew into the forests outside Rome. You know falcons had, from fascism. Yeah. <laughs> um, Just ask Sergio Ramos. Yeah, they're, flying, they're... <laughs> flying back to flying back to to the eagle's nest. Oh or... my god! Oh my god! Um, but their falconer was seen going up to the Lazio ultras and doing chants with them, praising Mussolini. Um, and when he was interviewed after the game, at first he tried to defend himself because probably the press team. Oh, he was also suspended from Lazio. He's he's no longer the falconer, um, at least for time being he's, but then, definitely, he's definitely getting paid leave by the way too yeah no 100 percent. um but then in, in another interview a subsequent one he actually just was like no like what's wrong with that like Mussolini he's a strong dude like what's not to like <laughs> great leader great leader great great leader. The leader don't clip that don't clip that by the way. 
Dude, Do the, not clip the that. trains, they're coming on time. Dude, all I mean, I how else say, are you supposed to get to the game? Right? All I have like, to say is that the, the, there's two hilarious things that accompany this story. First, the, the fact that um, Lazio actually lost the game where uh, Mussolini was on the bench 4-1 to one, with four goals coming. They lost 4-1 to one to Hellas Verona away with four goals actually coming from Giovanni Simeone, the son of Diego. And I also want to say, I'm looking at the team that Sari put out for this game, and I, I do have to say that Milinkovic, Savic, Anderson, Felipe Anderson, and a Mussolini would make a very strong axis on that right-hand side. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, joking joking aside, um, it was a pretty... It was, it is, <laughs> It is pretty funny that for whatever reason, it's so funny. It, it is pretty weird that for whatever reason, like every single derby was this weekend because it wasn't just like the big leagues either. Like Bronby Copenhagen in Denmark is yeah. one of the most violent derbies each year. Bronby won this one by a final score of two to one, but that was there. Ajax PSV was this weekend on Sunday, um, which Ajax won five nil. And PSG Marseille, which I think can be the last match that we talk about, yeah, yeah, was yeah, this yeah. weekend as well. It finished nil-nil, but not before two goals were ruled out for outside. And Akraf Hakimi got sent off because it wouldn't be a derby, a classique, without at least one red card. But I know PSG are seven points clear in the league, but this is still like another less than stellar performance mm. from, from Pochettino's side. I just keep yeah. thinking about the... Sorry, Caleb, go for it. Yeah, no, I mean, like, this this game was also crazy in its own ways. I mean... Uh, a police officer with like a riot shield had to protect Neymar while he was taking corner kicks because fans were throwing stuff on the field. Um, a Marseille fan, you know, ran onto the pitch as Messi was attacking and interrupted the attack. Uh, the velodrome is listen. You know, I just want to say that that lawless fan, place. Yeah, that fan was tracking back way better than a lot of the PSG attackers, <laughs> <laughs> the Marseille attackers in this game. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, Nathan, you did point to something, you know, I think for a few weeks now, I've been preaching calm about the state of PSG's attack and saying that, you know, whatever combination of three or four players, um, you know, Neymar, Mbappe, Messi, Di Maria would come good. But it's been a few games now. And honestly, it's not looking so good. Neymar, especially, I think, has looked weirdly off the pace this season in Ligue And there are definitely some murmurings um, in the French press. And I think, you know, abroad as well, saying that Pochettino it might be a little bit out of depth with this, is, with this squad. Do you guys think that's the case? Should I keep preaching calm or, or sh you know, with the Zidane just... on the market, a Conte on the market, you know, other managers, should they PSG start to, to get worried and maybe make a switch? I just keep thinking back to the quote that Thomas Tuchel gave after he joined Chelsea about his time at PSG, where he said that at PSG, he did not feel like a coach. He felt like, quote unquote, a minister for sport and like a manager for personalities rather than an actual like coach on the training ground. And I think that's just like the structure of PSG. You know, we've seen like a revolving door of vastly different kinds of managers at this point. And I think there's such, it's such like a um, star driven club and the stars know that it's such a star-driven club that for a manager like Pochettino, who is such a workmanlike, system-driven coach, it's always going to be really hard for him to nail down any type of system, especially when like he's coming back from an international break 
and players that you know the South American players aren't available. You know, Neymar will just like choose to not play a game. You know, for whatever reason, it might be like an undisclosed injury, or I imagine he's just had some like aside with a PSG higher up that he can go back to Brazil for his sister's birthday, which seems to be like the running gag. And I just think it's like kind of you know just as Marseille, the velodrome is a lawless land. PSG is sort of a lawless club when it comes to the man management of their stars. Yeah, I think, first of all, it's, again, one of the situations where, like, there will never be success. that Like, you cannot overachieve with PSG. Um, you can only achieve or underachieve. And, frankly, PSG, since the takeover in 2010-2011, have not achieved, right? Like, they have not won the Champions League. That is their, uh, that is their sort of holy grail. And even with Messi in the team now, that is the... Uh, that is the holy grail. And it's hard for a manager like Pochettino to come in and say like, look, we're going to have like a blue collar ideology because you can't do that with this team and the players and the personnel who he has. So I don't know. It's again, one of those situations where like, like arguably the Super League would like only make sense for PSG because they are just so much more valuable than every single other team in their league. But again, it's kind of disappointing to know that like PSG can like draw Marseille and like lose to Rennes or draw Bruges in the Champions League uh, and still end up just walking away uh, with the league title. So all in all, I'm not exactly sure like how to fault Pochettino because like I know he's a capable manager, but this team is not ever going and this situation is never going to play to his strengths. Yeah. I think, you know, to bring this all back around to Manchester United, we started the pod with, you can have a collection of stars. And this past transfer window definitely felt like, you know, all of these various MVPs of soccer, you know, moving and making super teams, essentially like Manchester United, like on paper, that is a super team. PSG on paper, that is a super team. But clubs like Liverpool with a solid infrastructure, you know, clubs like Bayern Munich, who are a super team, but with a very solid infrastructure in the Bundesliga, are always going to be more successful because they have that, you know, solid ethical foundation, both in terms of, you know, their practices off the pitch and certainly, you know, their tactics and practices on the pitch. Yeah, I think that is certainly fair to say. Well, it's a cup week this week, so plenty of domestic action on the England and Germany side of things. Barcelona have their makeup game. Uh, it is a Champions League week next week, I believe. So there's plenty of action coming up uh, and some good matchups this weekend, including Leicester Arsenal and Liverpool Brighton, which has potential for uh, some festivities. It's a fixture that's given Liverpool some trouble in years past. We've also got Spurs United this Saturday, and I'm not even sure how to properly root for a team in that game, but I'm sort of just here rooting for chaos. But until next time, I have been Nathan Strauss. Caleb Reds. I'm going to give in and I'm going to go check the Lazio online shop to see if I can buy a uh, <laughs> Floriani. Yes, but you can only get it in the numbers 1-4 and 8-8. Eight, eight. <laughs> Dude, his number is 44. No way. <laughs> oh, is, yeah. no. It's so good. Uh, it's too good. We, we will see you all next time.